Welcome to the Fueling the Future podcast, where we get to the bottom of issues, trends, and developments in fuels and vehicles. I'm your host, Tammy Klein, Principal Consultant with Future Fuel Strategies, and with me today is Ortwin Costanoble, who is the Senior Standardization Consultant with the NEN, or the Netherlands Standardization Institute. Let me tell you a little bit about Ortwin before I welcome him to the program. Ortwin graduated from Delft Technical University as a materials science engineer. He started at NEN, the Netherlands Standardization Institute, in 2000 in the chemistry field. After some years of standardization consultancy in a number of different fields, he specialized in project management in the petroleum, sustainable fuels, and bioeconomy field, which is how I came to know him, actually. He is now the senior standardization consultant. Ortwin, welcome to the program. Thanks very much, Tammy, for having me. It's very great to have you. So, first of all, for the listeners who may not be familiar, can you talk about actually your work at the NEN, and can you talk about what the European Standardization um, Organization is, or the CEN, and your role within that organization? So, uh, we in the Netherlands have a standardization institute, which is basically covering all the topics that regarding standards, which are basically agreements between industry, government, consumers, users of products and services. And the standards uh, is developed by a group of people. They think what is the best way to do it, and we support that. So we organize the discussions, we make sure they get into consensus, and we put everything nice and smoothly on paper that it reads the best for everybody who's going to use the standard in the end. So that's the uh, that's in the Netherlands. My work there is, uh, like you said, I'm, I'm working in the, the energy field, bioenergy alternative products, but I'm also not only doing that in supporting the uh, national Dutch standards on fuels and alternative fuels, for instance, but also on European international level. Internationally, obviously, then all the countries have to sit around one table and discuss around the quality of diesel fuel, for instance, or how to go to test biogas. In Europe, we, as we have a European Union, with a lot of internal trade and agreements, uh, which are governed by European legislation and European uh, rules. There is a separate organization, which is called CEN, and that is an organization of 34 countries at the moment that cooperate on making standards in support of the European user and also in support of the our legislative body, which is the European Commission. I'm the secretary there, so my role as well as there is to organize meetings and to make sure that everybody gets to an agreement, either by putting things to a vote or by having a meeting and discussing things. So last year, the CEN released a study, Engine Tests with New Types of Biofuels and Development of Biofuel Standards. It has a very... You know, it's not exactly the sassy, sassy title, but nope. um, it really, <laughs> they never are. They never are. Let's face it. But right. there were some really, really interesting results and findings in that study. So can you talk about that 
and what the outcomes were. Yeah, sure. It's not very, not well. It's it's, it's an encompassing title because it was a, uh, several topics of work. It was released by Sam because most of the time Sam is making standards because the industry or consumers or the European Commission uh, have a request for that and they so they demand that. But sometimes Sam is also asked to do some uh, what we then call pre-normative research, which is basically investigation or assessment or market study to prepare for a possible new standard. That can be paid for by an association, but uh, in this instance, it was paid for by the European Commission. If they want to do uh, an organization to do research, they can obviously ask research institute, a university or whatever. But in this case, because it was all connected to standards, they asked SEN to organize it. It was around engine testing and biofuels, and biofuel standards. So SEN came to me as the secretary of the relevant committee and asked my organization and myself to, be the, to manage that project. Basically, it consisted of four topics, one being more bigger and having more work in total than the other. The first topic was around future engines and actual engines possible issues with regarding to blends of paraffinic diesel, so diesel with paraffinic fuels in it, which are mostly fissure drops or gas to liquid ones. These are already abundantly, I would say, on the market in uh, Europe. And there were some questions from the standardization people around uh, how high the blend levels could be and what would be the impact. The results of this study was that we advised the standardization people that they could release the actual lower limit of the density. Biophenic fuels have a lower density, so if you blend them to a higher share, the density of the end product goes down. That was the advice. So far, uh, the discussion is still ongoing, so no final decisions have been made. Then another topic was around biodiesel, which is uh, probably known as, uh, as FAME, fatty acid methyl ester. There were some, some question marks around contamination with polymers and, and other uh, problems. The task was to de further develop a sort of rig tests, which is not a lab, not a chemical test, but and it's also not a test in a real engine or in a real car, but a small kind of mimicking based on uh, a French ID. And what we did is we, we came to the conclusion that for up to fame blends going up to 30% of fame. This rig test, uh, we only built one and we only tested it uh, very limitedly, could tell you some things around the final product, the final diesel that you put in the car. There is the problem that sometimes you have a very good quality fame according to our European specification. You have a good diesel according to the European specification. You blend it to a product and you think one, one good plus one good makes a final good one. And that is not always the case. And that depends on additives, on handling, on all kinds of things. That was also part of our work. Fairly difficult to uh, tell that from lab testing. So this was a, a first trial to see whether we could do it with a, a, a simple, not too expensive 
rig testing. It worked. At the moment, I believe it's very developed in France as well. Then another part uh, was also around a diesel, uh, the diesel engine, and that was to demonstrate uh, the feasibility of a en diesel engine using high octane fuels, meaning uh, oct well, oct and uh, gasoline type of fuels. We constructed single cylinder engine with the help with some uh, car manufacturers. And that single cylinder, we, we uh, obviously we tested it with, with diesel, it worked. We tested it with a normal gasoline and we tested it with several types of uh, blends of gasoline and ethanol to see where we could optimize and when you need to have a, an assist with spark. So it's a combination of a gasoline type of engine and a diesel type of engine that worked. Obviously, it was a single cylinder. We compared the uh, how it worked and the, and, uh, with a, a normal gasoline engine. The results were quite good, so that is hopeful. Some of the OEMs have agreed to uh, to work internally and uh, continue on that. The point is that the uh, would be optimized on not too high octane type of gasoline, so that that would be just a normal octane that we have in Europe or even an octane that is common in uh, in the states or in some other mm -hmm. parts of the world so that it could be it could be in a, it is a, a normal market fuel and that was the uh, the target to see if we could have this run on a normal fuel where there are some engines already and cars already in the market that use special fuels and the last part of the work was to study the uh, overall sensitivity of future or actual technology vehicles, which in Europe is Euro 6, 6C, and the actual uh, the, the fuel logistics system in Europe, the, the transportation and the fuel pumps and everything, towards uh, what we said were mid-blend oxygenated petrol. But shortly you could say, well, that's an E20 blend. And we did it. The result was that on a reasonable cost for the European community, so for the European consumer, you could make the actual vehicle fleet or in at least the, certainly the future vehicle fleet and the, the transport lines, pipelines, filling stations compatible to an E20 fuel and the effects on the emissions within the boundaries that are set at the moment. And even this overall CO2 benefit would be relatively good. So now we did that by testing four different vehicles with a, a set of 10 different fuels over time. Uh, so that, that was an extensive work. So just telling you what the result was sounds quite simple, but that uh, that's what we've done. Yeah, I mean, it's very comprehensive work in a lot of different technical areas. So my mm -hmm. question that I want to ask you is, what has been, and the findings are really interesting, I mean, with respect to E20, Octane, which I'm going to ask you about, ED95, mm -hmm. this potential for a GCI engine, which I'm going to ask you about as well. But before that, what I wanted to ask is what has been the response 
to the study by commission representatives or mm-hmm. member state governments or others in, in industry and members of, of SEN itself? Well, first of all, the commission. Obviously, the, uh, the, the originators of the task, which were both, were part was the Directorate General for Research and Innovation. They were very happy. We could show them a working engine, could show them quite a good set of results, a working test rig, and also we had some, some advices to the commission in general. Then we go to the rest of the commission. At the end of the project, we had an open uh, workshop where there were several people from, uh, from the European Commission uh, present and also at a research unit, uh, which is uh, a joint research center, who are doing a lot of emission testing and emission uh, evaluations. Uh, they were present and they were very interested. And it resulted basically because one of our main conclusions was that, well, you need to do some things, you need to do some tweaking and maybe a little bit of extra research specifically on, uh, on, on uh, to, make, to make an E20 petrol specification standard, but it can be done. There is no major hurdle anymore, except um, that the European Commission has a directive in place, which, well, if you read it as it is, it forbids the the sales to the public of anything above 10% of ethanol in petrol, which is E10. That automatically, no, that that sets the commission to thinking. And uh, at the end of uh, uh, last year, they published a tender for a consultant that had to go to the whole directive, which is related to fuel quality, quality, to see, okay, where would it make sense to further adapt that directive apart from going to an E20? Where do we need to do things? Where can we relax? Where can we need to be more stricter in order to be sure that we we maintain our goals? And where does it still assist the industry in in, uh, achieving goals uh, with regards to CO2 reduction, greenhouse gas emission reductions, and so on? That was basically a response by the commission. It's a prudence, though not it's a big step, but officially you all. We, we would have liked them, based on our research, to just say, okay, we're going to revise it and we start now, but okay, they are working on it. If I may, any, uh, any early yeah, sure. conclusions or, or any directions from that work, no. or is that, no, is no, that no, work no, ongoing? No, not, that's ongoing. They have done the consultants hired, consultant company. Mm-hmm. They send out a broad inquiry, the deadline for the response on the inquiry was the first of this month. So there is nothing known yet. Um, they go to the second round of interviews and direct. Uh, um, uh, basically, our SEN committee has, has also sent a response and we have provisionally be invited for a, for a second round talk. But the idea is that they will present their report to the commission in November of this year. You never know, but in general, I think the feeling towards at least going to some sort of petrol specification or allowance for sales of petrol with more than 10% of ethanol is, I would say there is a big chance to that. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty incredible. That's based, well, that's to, to, to continue on that. That's the allowance, first of all. At the moment, all the countries and all the uh, suppliers can sell E10, which is up to 10% of ethanol. That is not all over the place. That is not in every member state of the Europe. Lots of them are still on E5. Lots of pumps are still only selling E5, and that uh, so. But yeah, it 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 gives the suppliers more flexibility, more possibilities, especially because we see in a lot of the, I would say, countries that have a, a high share of diesel vehicles, you see uh, more and more sales of gasoline vehicles. So the gasoline demand is increasing, meaning that. Well, these suppliers also have to do something on the gasoline side. Yeah. You talked about the the commission, but how about member states and and industry mm-hmm. itself, including including those yeah. uh, who are members of Sun? Okay, so member states. I don't regularly talk with a lot of member states, uh, apart from the Dutch one. Um, the Dutch has shown a great interest in this not not in the very details of our work but but in e20 and also in the the paraffin diesel results because that is what is on our on on our market or is what people also in the netherlands would like to bring on the market so yeah there are talks around that not saying because we we only started with a, a nationwide sales of E10 last October, so it will take some time before we go to E20 in the Netherlands, but yeah, there is there is interest. There's also interest in some other states, but they are all basically waiting for the Commission to give them some allowance. That's for the E20. The other topics were for, for governments a bit too technical, I think. For industry, well, like I said, some of the vehicle manufacturers or suppliers or test houses that participated or that are part of our SEN committee have shown interest. They have indicated that they they want to continue with uh, some of the IDs. The actual situation is around the virus and is is that people are stepping back. So, Okay, I will have to see how how soon the developments will come and uh, come on the market. In any case, we see that a lot of manufacturers of vehicles allow uh, blends and and full paraffinic diesel. And there is more vehicles on the market that have been given guarantees for higher fame content. And I've even seen some vehicles, new vehicles on the market that have been indicated to be able to run on an E20 petrol. It's not on the market, but at least the automaker guarantees the uh, the E20 compatibility. So there's, um, as you know, been quite a lot of discussion recently about increasing octane uh, in Europe. So can you talk about that and whether you see that happening in Europe? I mean, one of the, the levels I've seen, potential levels, is, you know, like 102 RON, which for me, as you know, as an, an American associated with the ASTM, the American Society of Testing and Materials and all of that, you know that discussion's been going on in the U.S. for years, mm-hmm. absolutely years. 
with not mm-hmm. a lot of movement. And, and the Americans, you know, are discussing moving to, you know, 95 Ron or 98 Ron, both of which have been in Europe for years and years, while, you know, the number that I've seen in Europe is like 102 Ron, which is like, wow, <laughs> that's pretty mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah. So can you talk about that and, and how you, if you see that happening mm-hmm. in Europe, and if so, when? Yes, that uh, is indeed. There is there is a lot of discussion, and it was already before we uh, started this investigation in 2016. Because if you blend in 25% of ethanol in a normal kind of gasoline, which is a blend stock uh, from a, you tend to go to 102 run if you measure that. That's why 102 came came forward as a kind of a, a nice to have from the, the car manufacturers. Obviously, because if they focus their uh, developments on that and if they tune their engines and basically the software on it, it would for them be a benefit in terms of CO2 emissions and fuel consumption, which are stringent and becoming more and more the targets for the uh, European car uh, industry. Okay, that is one thing, but blending anything that raises the ox, uh, the octane in petrol, obviously, is a disadvantage to the fuel supplier or the refinery. If it's ethanol, um, they'll have to buy the ethanol. Um, so far, the ethanol is pretty to still, and certainly now nowadays, still more expensive than uh, than just a normal uh, gasoline, or they have to put in additives or whatever. So for them, it's an extra cost. So the balance is always okay, and it has been, and that's why the discussions have also in Europe and also in ASTM been been ongoing and going for decades. Uh, it's it's always a giveaway. <laughs> Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what it is. But I cannot generalize. I cannot say, well, it's, it's everywhere in Europe, but there are more in the discussions. You see that uh, uh, car manufacturers and suppliers, fuel suppliers are cooperating or coordinating. They are giving for specific fleets. They, uh, they give packages on fuels and vehicles which, which have a, a certain advantage. For both, huh? so CO2 targets for the refineries and, and fuel consumption targets for the vehicle manufacturer. So this could possibly be an option, and it, it certainly is an option. I'm not saying we will, in the end, in Europe, land on the 102, because that's one optimal on one side and the other one on the other side. But I think... And now we are almost four years after we we uh, started uh, uh, with the program. I think there is more the possibility of going to higher octanes is is, is more there than uh, than before. So the chances are are better. We still need to go, and we is not necessarily we at Sen because if there is an agreement on on a certain octane to be supplied to the market, and it can be 100, can be 98, can be 102. For us, there is not that much to do in terms of standards. You can measure it. You just have to set the limits, and then everything is fine. 
Now you have a, well, maybe an E20 petrol specification with a certain minimum octane that is not 95 as it is now. Then obviously with, with if you, if you blend in oxygen, it's a little bit easier to get to a higher octane than if you just have to make it from your refinery. I cannot tell you or give you any clue about the date. I certainly can tell you that before we can even come to a conclusion, we first need to have the directive changed, which is not, well, it's not, if I say it's not foreseen, it's, it's my estimation and it's the general feeling because the Commission has not said anything officially on it, but it will take at least to 22, I think, before mm-hmm. we have it, that it needs That's to be implemented. And, mm-hmm. and then, yeah, and then in 2022, then, okay, I'm not sure whether the Commission will say anything on octane in their directive. They might, <laughs> they might not. In any case, then we need to uh, discuss well the, the the industry associations need to discuss it first and they need to say okay well this this is where we are and then it's easy to implement in the specification and then people have to bring it on the market that's obviously the next thing so timeline yeah. very difficult to say but the amazing thing to me is that the findings in, in the study just really struck me i mean these are not conversations or we would not have been looking at these issues, discussing, I mean, it would just have been unheard of, at least from my perspective anyway. Maybe it's different for you, but for me as an outside observer and someone who follows European developments, I would have just thought this would be impossible. I I, I just didn't see it. I mean, you know, there's still many European countries that are at E5, and now we're talking about E20. I mean, and this is a conversation, you know, the U.S. as a comparison, I mean, really has a lot of the fundamentals in place to do E20. <laughs> it's got everything mm-hmm. except the po- political will. You would think it's a, it's, it would be a surefire uh, thing that this would be happening in the U.S. But I see, you know, even if we're talking to begin to allow and, and to roll out these programs, I mean, even in the late 2020s, Europe will be... I think, in the forefront on this rather than the U.S. So just the fact that we're talking about E20, that there, there's a potential for this to really become a reality, that we're talking about things like ED95. I mean, I remember, again, you know, it, it's the U.S. perspective, but I remember being in, in a forum, you know, like 15 years ago, and the auto companies were kind of sitting together at a table and someone was presenting about ethanol diesel mixtures a little bit different but still ethanol and diesel going together <laughs> and mm-hmm. i mean they practically practically booed the poor speaker out of the room i mean if they had had tomatoes <laughs> they would have been throwing them at the speakers mm-hmm. and now you know here we are talking about these things and i just think that it's you know maybe the the study title has a is very you know innocuous sounding but when you dig deeper it's like wow you know we are really at a stage where we're having these conversations and i think a lot of it is driven by i know in europe you know from my view you know we're talking about things that we never would have talked about before because we're all talking about every little thing we can do to decarbonize of which these are all strategies you know to help do it so it's just a 
it's just really incredible to even be talking mm-hmm. about this, let alone to be taking the steps to put these pieces into place. No, I agree. The talks have been less hostile <laughs> than, than before, more open-minded. And uh, yes, when, when we developed the idea around the project, and it was, well, both going to lower density or to go to higher octane or higher ethanol blends. I was oh, yeah, also a little bit surprised that people were saying, okay, but then we'll have to, to, to take this and we have to consider this. And, and, and if there is this idea of doing sort of fundamental research that be, that's accepted by or done by or supported by a larger group of industry, then we'll have to look at 25% of ethanol. We have to go to 102 octane. We have to go to higher amounts of uh, ethers to discuss that. Yeah, and to really uh, also, yeah, what, what uh, lower density. Okay, well, we think it can be done, but what is it? So yeah, just go to see where we can reach to. And yeah, there, nobody has, has booted and uh, said, well, uh, yeah, we have to be conscious and this is far, too far away and it's never going to happen or it's not going to happen before 2040 or so. No, there were no talks around that. I think a lot of people see the needs to look at it, talk about it, to discuss it with competitors, co-colleagues and everything. And yeah, we, we really had a, an open discussion like... Uh, most of the time also have in our standardization groups. And that's a nice thing. Yeah, sure. So to continue on kind of mm-hmm. along that vein, so we're talking fuel quality, you know, the study, we're now talking about fuel quality directive, but with respect to developing a standard for, for E20, what's the status of that? Because as I, as I mentioned, and as you very well know, much more than me, there's some member states that are doing E10, there's some that are doing E5. What's the progress in that, and what would be the the timeline for you know developing, finalizing, you know, promulgating such a standard? Yeah, well, like I, like I said, and we discussed that. We discussed that after uh, we finalized the work, and we discussed it last November in our group. Basically, we said, okay, we think we are uh, uh, ready to uh, to develop such a standard, but it doesn't make any sense because uh, we then, well, a lot of people said we would standardize an illegal product because you cannot sell it anywhere in uh, in the European Union. So from a standardization point, it's it's a relatively easy thing. We went through it. There's not a lot of things that we, we shouldn't do. We cannot do, but then, yeah, first we, we, we need to have the allowance of the European Commission to do it. We did make some comments and we still need to do some uh, laboratory studies to see if all the test methods are fully fit for all the types of uh, E20 product that uh, that we can imagine and that we did test in our research work. There's still some work to be done that we initiated that. We asked our test method developer groups to look into that and we already got some results and they are kind of preparing things. We are also discussing internally with a couple of people the small but still open question marks that are around uh, E20 fuels development. The hope is that we we can, uh, well, at the beginning of next year, if 
that <laughs> if the Commission comes forward with yes, we're going to allow E20, that we could uh, further develop uh, some of this testing. And then it will be, well, I would say in the beginning of 2022, we might well have an E20 standard and the possibility of people to supply it to the consumers on the consumer market. Or eh? I know there have been some talks about selling this product already for captive fleets. So that could be taxis, that could be owned vehicles, property of uh, companies. They are working on that, even with, with other things like ethanol. So that is an ongoing thing. But yeah, like I already said, uh, there are the minority of the European Union member states are on E10. So selling most of their fuels as, as an E10. So the, the majority is still an E5. So that's still, yeah. Like we said, we checked that. It needs, if you, if you want to have a, a substantial amount of sales of your fuel, you need substantial amount of vehicles that can run on it. And that is, amount is uh, uh, far less than, than that can run on E10 or that are kind of uh, calibrated and uh, guaranteed for E20. So there is another kind of hurdle, so to say, and that needs to, uh, needs to change as well. So, yeah, I would say if we have a standard and we have the possibility to sell the product in 2022, I don't expect a huge kind of public sales before 2025, maybe even mm-hmm. a little bit later. But on the other hand, yeah. yeah, there are a lot of member states that have certain targets for 2030 and interim targets. They need to make steps. It yeah. could even be sooner. Yeah, I, I could see that happening, you know, where, yeah, in those member states, the rollout could be quite quick. And then there are, there are others, you know, where it could be a little bit behind that. But my my thought mm-hmm. is, yeah, late 20, when you really start to see some significant volume on the market, it could be, um, you know, I'm thinking late 2020, around the, the mm-hmm. magic year of 2030. <laughs> from a mm-hmm. renewable energy directive standpoint mm-hmm. and then beyond, you know, and, and into the early 30, 2030s where you see, uh, you know, really significant scale up and rollout. But of course, yeah, mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that have to happen before all of that, as you, as you point out, mm-hmm. you know, starting with the vehicle fleet itself um, and, and so forth. So I want to turn, mm-hmm. you know, for the last question, I want to turn to another aspect of the study. And that was, the part of the study that you mentioned earlier that focused on developing a GCI engine with Spark uh, Assist. Can you explain a little bit more for the listeners who might not be familiar kind of what that is, if you can, in simple, yeah. simple yeah, terms? Sure. And then, uh, you know, I, and then what the implications are for, for, for Europe to, to develop such an engine? Because I thought oh, that was really interesting as well. Yeah, okay. So what we call gasoline compressed ignition engine. A normal gasoline car uses a a spark to ignite the uh, fuel. So it compresses the fuel, but it uses a spark because of the nature of the gasoline. So you have to compress it very, very, very hard to have 
what we call self-ignition. So down under pressure, it just explodes out of uh, eh, from itself out. That is the concept of a diesel engine. So diesel diesel type of fuels, they are slightly different than gasoline type of fuels. So they, if you put it under a lot of pressure, they automatically ignite. That is that way diesel is in terms of fuel consumption, it's a, it's a very beneficial type of engine. But it also, in terms of emissions, and are we talking particles, NOx, other type of things, it is less beneficial. So the idea behind is, okay, we, we, we combine the both goods. So you have a concept of an engine, which is, there's fuel consumption very good, and you have a fuel gasoline which gives you a better emissions, which gives you kind of a cleaner type of burning. So you have to put in less effort to to clean the fuel afterwards with uh, with catalyst and so on. Like I said, well, you if you gasoline it auto ignites very difficult. So we said, okay, well, in certain so if you if you run on a very high speed high load uh, you 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 uh, like uh, what diesel cars diesel vehicles so these trucks they have a very they run on a very high load that is kind of okay okay and that we proved that for normal gas gasoline so then then you can run a diesel engine on gasoline the problem is when you start it when you run around in the city when you do stop and go uh, while you're delivering packages and parcels. So then we said, okay, wait, maybe at that what we call a lower load, you you just run it like a normal gasoline, where in the normal situation on the highway or when you when you uh, after warming up and so on, uh, it it just runs on this normal diesel type of engine, and then it gives you good consumption as well as uh, very low emissions. So that's the whole idea. And uh, well, the concept has, has been proven on a single cylinder. We are now developing a follow-up program and where we uh, try to further work, work it out. And that's hopefully, well, we can, we can continue with that at the end of this year or maybe next year. The implications for Europe so to say, or for, for European vehicles and fuels, is that well, the idea was that it would, it could run on fuel that is actually now on the market. Um, it could give the possibility that uh, you, uh, well, ideally, you'll have a fleet, an actual fleet of diesel vehicles that you could remodel, uh, you could upgrade to run it on a gasoline in terms of, well, yeah, the emissions are better and you could seek to see, okay, now I have a gasoline on the market where more vehicles run on. Obviously, the idea was that uh, we would, uh, in Europe, uh, because of our immense fleet of normal passenger diesel vehicles opposite to what you have in the States. Our refineries are mostly overproducing on terms of uh, gasoline because they also have to produce diesel, which means that if we could have used gasoline in 
actual fleet or we could use more gasoline, that would be also a benefit for the refineries. Now we don't have to export our gasoline to the States and import diesel from uh, Russia or from other countries. I'm not saying that, that it's going to work, uh, things are changing, the fleet is changing, uh, we see a lot of uh, electrical kind of things, but that is the follow-up that we were thinking of because you could either run this concept on the lower load, so start up and in, in a city drive, you could do it with a spark assist, but you could also do it with a battery. And then you have a hybrid diesel type of vehicle running on gasoline. And that is the idea that we're now further exploring to see if, if that type of mode could also work. So you have a partially electrical diesel type of passenger car vehicle or small uh, delivery types of vehicle. I think there is so much potential in that because I don't know that I see, and, and perhaps it's even uh, exacerbated now because of the, the current pandemic. I think if people have dollars or euros, they'll just be holding on to them. In other words, I'm not sure how much people will be, be spending on, on vehicles. But anyway, for the, for the longer term, you know, in terms of the scale up of electrification, it provides a, a fail safe or a backstop because I don't know that we'll see 100% electrification anywhere, for, uh, you know, to be quite honest with you, in, uh, in the light duty fleet. But certainly, I think it will be much slower than I think other people have predicted. And so I think developing an, in, an engine like this, I think, is a, is a good fail-safe. It, it continues on the pathway to electrification. It helps automakers meet those very stringent CO2 targets. It gives a home for the, the re refined product because we really just can't say goodbye to the refining industry, the oil industry overnight. We need to make a transition but yet we still have important, you know, climate and, and air pollution concerns to meet. So I see great potential there. It's just a matter of, uh, you know, it, it isn't going to happen tomorrow, but the, but the potential is there, which is really interesting. Yeah, I agree. Like you say, it, it, it is, it, this concept can be, uh, can be an addition uh, to uh, the, the market. It might be relatively easy to install also uh, in, in existing vehicles, which are still the majority of uh, the fleets anywhere. We have roughly 5% of new sales of vehicles per year. So that's 20 years or longer before. <laughs> okay, and then you well, you officially can yeah. uh, you can subsidize things, and people might might spend their money on new cars easier. But yeah, it will take time. This could be a, a smaller investment type of thing for existing vehicles, where you get uh, better consumption, better emissions. And like they say, yeah, well, it's already a battery type of uh, thing. Yeah, I see the. I definitely see the potential. Uh, the potential there. So, Ortwin, I want to thank you so much for being on the show today and for talking to us about the, the study and all the interesting implications. And I want to thank the listeners uh, as well. If you are looking for more analysis on future fuels issues, 
You can head to my website, futurefuelstrategies.com, and sign up for my free biweekly newsletter. The study actually has been already quoted in an article and is actually up on the website and will be also linked for the post for this podcast. Thanks again. Mm-hmm.